Uh, 50 through 57 this morning. So, like I mentioned earlier, this is a high day in the church year. The church has a calendar that goes alongside the regular solar calendar um, uh, where we basically work ourselves from the, um, uh, from the advent, the birth of Jesus Christ into the world through his life and then uh, beyond. Um, uh, with his resurrection and ascension and Pentecost and all those Sundays and then uh, time all the way through to uh, where the last day of the Christian calendar is um, the Feast of Doom, the, the idea that uh, he's coming back one day and it'll be the end of this world and the beginning of the next. So um, uh, that's the Christian calendar. This day in particular is one of those days where uh, we get a lot of visitors, I think. The church in general gets a lot of visitors on Christmas and Easter. That seems... Um, uh, normal, that uh, people would come on those days of the year. Special attention is given to the proclamation of the greatest uh, moments in history on those days. Uh, probably the greatest turning point in history came on Easter Sunday when Jesus Christ uh, was raised from the dead by God his Father. And his victory over death, that, that, that resurrection, the fact that he's not just the Lord, he's the risen Lord, his victory is the substance of of our preaching. It's, it's the substance of the apostolic preaching, the preaching of the apostles. If you go through the book of Acts and you see all the times when Peter and John and Paul and these guys were preaching the gospel, um, the resurrection shows up in every single uh, sermon that's recorded in the book of Acts. So that means that the good news isn't complete just with the, the concept of his crucifixion, right? The, the reality, the historical reality that Jesus Christ was killed in order to secure the forgiveness of sins, the good news isn't complete just with Good Friday. The good news really is only complete and whole and true uh, with Sunday's resurrection. And there's more to the life of Christ that is also good news, but you can't have the full good news without the resurrection. The apostles didn't spend much time doing apologetics about the resurrection. You don't see in their sermons a lot of... uh, recorded where they're trying to give you proof for the concept of the, the, um, the resurrection itself. They don't spend a lot of time trying to convince others of the historical reality of it. They just said things like, hey, we saw him alive. We and many others saw him alive. You can ask 500 people who saw him. Uh, they saw him alive again after he was clearly dead and in the tomb. And we knew Jesus before But before that, we weren't willing to suffer with him. And now we're willing to proclaim the good news of his resurrection to the point of our deaths. And every single, almost every single one of the the apostles gave up their lives for the sake of this gospel. Uh, Apostles who previously had been with Jesus but were cowards when it came to, uh, to the point of danger, right? So we saw him and now we're ready to die for this message. Now we're ready to die to to proclaim the gospel of the risen Lord Jesus. So they didn't spend much time doing apologetics, trying to convince people that it's true. They spent more time unpacking the significance of it, the meaning of it, assuming that it is true, which there's plenty of good reason to assume that the resurrection is a true historical historical event. It means something. There's significance to this. Jesus Christ is alive from the dead. He's glorious. He's never going to die again. And that means something. It means something for us. In fact, it means everything 
for us. We can't possibly look at everything that the resurrection means for us uh, this morning, but our passage is kind of one of the, the big passages on the meaning, the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul considers this some of, this, uh, it's some of the most important stuff anybody could ever know. That's what he says earlier in the chapter, and it's, it's no mistake that uh, you're here this morning, this Easter morning, it's good for you to hear the most important stuff that anybody could ever know. And I would assume that you'd want to hear the most important stuff that anyone could ever hear and know. Right? Uh, Tim Keller says, I always say to my skeptical secular friends that even if they can't believe in the resurrection, they should want it to be true. If the resurrection of Jesus happened, that means there's infinite hope. Infinite hope sounds like a pretty big deal. So whatever you think about the gospel at this point, whatever you think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, let me assert that it is unequivocally the most important thing that you or anyone could ever hear, and you should reorder all of your beliefs around it. The reality of the resurrection. You should reorder all of your beliefs around it. Let me pray, then we'll talk about the scripture and what that has to say about it. Father, we need your help as we consider your word this morning. You have spoken one word with finality to us, and that word is Jesus Christ. He is your word incarnate, and he discloses who you are and what you're like to us. He truly reveals you to us, and so we pray that as we look at Jesus, as we see him to be risen from the dead, that we would hear all the good news that you have for us through him. We pray for your spirit's help to that end as we consider your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Down to verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, like I said, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most significant thing ever to happen in this world. In terms of sheer meaning, meaningness, um, meaningfulness, In terms of sheer meaning, the resurrection is the event. It's the event that transforms the meaning of every other event. The resurrection is the event that transforms, utterly transforms the meaning of every other event. 
probably the first and greatest other event that was transformed by the resurrection was the event of Jesus' own death that happened just a few days before. And it took that most terrible day and it made it Good Friday. Since God raised Jesus from the dead, his death was not vain. Now we know, because God raised him from the dead, now we know that his death was acceptable to God as an atoning sacrifice. Now we know that his death had real power to make things right. Now we know, we can see, that though we meant his death for evil, God meant it for good. And now we look at his death because of the resurrection. Now we look at his death. It's the most horrific tragedy ever to occur, and we know it's our salvation. And we know where our salvation leads because of the resurrection. It leads to new life. It leads to glorious life, life with God and life unto God, life everlasting. At the cross on that Friday... Our sin, our treacherous rebellion, met and did battle with God's faithful love in battle to the death. If you just had Friday, it would look like we won. It would look like our treacherous rebellion won the day. But who prevailed? The resurrection says that God won. God prevailed. And he did not prevail against us. We rebelled against him. He did not prevail against us. He prevailed for us to share freely his everlasting victory with us as a free gift of his grace. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, every good gift in him is not God prevailing against us. It's God prevailing for us and sharing his victory with us. So the resurrection doesn't just, um, uh, it doesn't just transform Jesus' death and imbue it with new meaning, though that's probably the second most important thing that ever happened in the history of the world. Uh, It doesn't just transform Jesus' death. The resurrection changes everything in the history of the world, and it gives us real permission. God is giving you divine permission because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to see everything as being on a new trajectory, a trajectory toward newness. Everything old has become new or will become new, right? The simple fact that, I mean, I, maybe, I, maybe I'm way off here, but um, one of the things that we, we talked about it, uh, on Good Friday was the fact that for the, the Jews, in the Jewish calendar, the day begins in the night, right? The day begins with the evening. Once the sun goes down, the first part of the day is darkness and then light, right? So the concept of the day for the Jew is that darkness first and then light, darkness first, and then light, for hundreds and thousands of years. And then Jesus comes, and now we think of the beginning of the day at the dawn, don't we? That's when the day really begins, because that's when Jesus rose from the dead. Or the week itself, for hundreds and thousands of years, the Jews celebrated the Sabbath at the end of the week. You do all of your work, And then maybe you get some rest at the end of the week, right? And now since the resurrection of Jesus Christ, since he rose from the dead on the first day of the week, our week and and time itself, everything 
in this world has changed so that it begins with a word of rest. It begins with the good news of God's grace to us. The Sabbath is now on the first day of the week. That's why we gather for, for worship on Sundays and not Saturdays. Because the risen Lord Jesus rose from the dead on this day. And every Sunday we remember the resurrection by meeting. Everything old has become new. So the, the most mundane things have become new. The bleakest, most dismal things. The most tragic things, all, all of it, is God's canvas for his joy, for his beauty, for his glory. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, Robert Capon can say, lostness, deadness, uselessness, and nothingness are God's cup of tea. Where there's death, there's hope. Because of the resurrection, where there's death, there's hope. Wherever there's death. And that means everywhere. Because of the resurrection, there's hope everywhere. These eyes might only see meaninglessness and decay in this world when we look around, but, but Christian faith sees a resurrection world. All of it is on a new trajectory. Reality itself is not a closed system stuck in a vicious cycle. The universe isn't meandering aimlessly toward nothingness. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means that the whole cosmos, all life that is now characterized by death and decay, everything will be brought into a new glorious existence. And one day, all of it will be summed up in the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And that day, in the scriptures, is called the resurrection. That's what it's called. Um, Paul says in verses 20 through 23 of our text, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, it's the resurrection, at his coming those who belong to Christ. So firstfruits, that imagery that Paul is using there, um, old ag agricultural imagery. The firstfruits is just the earliest part of the crop. You got a big crop, whatever is harvested first. That's the first fruits, right? So once you hold that first delicious grape in your hand and you look down rows and rows and rows of vines that seem like nothing much is happening quite yet, you know all the other clusters of still ripening grapes are soon to follow because you've got the first fruits in your hand. So once the man, Jesus Christ, the first, first fruits of humanity, once the man, Jesus Christ, was raised from the dead by God his Father, you know all of us men and women who are in him are right behind him. We're right behind him. His resurrection means our resurrection. It's a guarantee of it. It's, it's of the same kind as ours will be. It has already happened. Our resurrection has already happened in him. Jesus said, 
I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And he said, because I live, you also will live. Because I live, you also will live. So only Christians have a rock-solid reason to believe that there will be a happy ending to all of our stories. And we have absolute proof of it in Jesus' resurrection, the historical event of it, which has never been disproved. What is already true of him in his resurrection is ours by faith through our union with him. As the Spirit of God unites us to Jesus Christ, whatever is true of him is true of us, even if we haven't quite seen it yet. In Ephesians 1, Paul prays that we would know, that Christians would know, the immeasurable greatness of his resurrection power. That we would know the immeasurable greatness of his resurrection power. And that word for power there is uh, the word behind our English word for dynamite. Um, his, his resurrection power. When he blew the doors off his tomb that first Easter morning, from the inside he broke the seal of death itself for us. He broke the seal of our death. That's the power of his resurrection. He went into the cave of death and he exploded his way out all the way through the mountain and made that cave into a tunnel for us. He turned that cul-de-sac into an avenue. His resurrection has turned death from a final destination into a new beginning for all of us. That can be difficult for us to believe when we look around and we see a whole world pretty much choking in its own blood, full of pain and evil, real evil, and death everywhere. It can be hard to believe in the resurrection, but when we lift our eyes to the risen Lord Jesus historical person of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, by his grace, God grants us a new vision of everything else, this whole world, including our own deaths and including the deaths of loved ones. That's, uh, that's what our passage is about, and Paul talks about it in, in another place also. At some point, death is going to um, start touching on this congregation more. I'm not making any kind of predictions or prophecies with that. It's just inevitable. At some point, we are going to die, and the people that we know are going to die. So you need to get this reality down. You need to get this gospel, the gospel of the resurrection, down inside your hearts for those days. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words.
encourage one another with these words. Maybe you noticed the use of the word sleep here. In 1 Thessalonians 4 and also in our text in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul uses that language to talk about death. But he's not, it's not a euphemism. It's not just a euphemism, at least. Paul's not afraid to use the word death. You know, a euphemism is what you say when really saying the real thing is a bit too strong for the present company. You use a euphemism. Uh, Sleep is not a euphemism for death. Death has truly been transformed so that it really is more like sleep for a Christian. Death, our death and the death of, of Christian loved ones is more like sleep than death now because of the resurrection. Rather than a serpent's deadly bite or a scorpion's deadly sting, death is now more like a big syringe, a big scary syringe in the surgeon's hand that's going to put you to sleep until you wake up new and whole and healthy. Those who die before Christ's return... Before the great resurrection, they'll be apart from their bodies. But they'll be present with the risen Lord in spirit, awaiting the day when our bodies, all of our bodies, will be raised new and made glorious when we'll be made like the risen Lord himself. Made like Jesus Christ is the way he is now. We will be like that, and it will last forever. In that day, we'll be made both body and soul imperishable and immortal, Paul says. Imperishable and immortal. Incorruptible and everlasting. Without sin. Without even the potential for sin. And never to die again. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, we shall be changed. We will be utterly renewed in every way in his kingdom. We'll see God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ, and it will transform us and we'll be made like him. All of our relationships will be made right. You will never manipulate anyone ever again. You'll never use anyone ever again. You'll never objectify anyone ever again. You'll never condemn anyone ever again. You'll never betray anyone ever again. You will properly and delightedly and thoroughly cherish and honor and love every single person. And that is all but unimaginable now. But it's true. In fact, it's even more than inev- it's, it's more inevitable than death itself is. We think death is inevitable. It's 100 percent death rate in this world. We think that's inevitable. The resurrection is even more inevitable. Because Paul says, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. If you happen to be alive when Jesus returns and the resurrection happens, you don't have to die first. So the resurrection is more inevitable than death itself. Now it's no wonder to us how all these cowardly disciples, these guys who abandoned Jesus at the first hint of danger, who ran away, who lied about him, lied about knowing him, they abandoned him, they betrayed him at every level, 
Now it's no wonder how they would become so bold as to preach the gospel of the risen Lord Jesus Christ moments before they were killed for it. Crucified, some of them upside down, some of them having been skinned alive first. Now it's no wonder how these cowards could be so bold with the message that they had to tell. The message of the resurrection made them ultimately invincible. It made them invincible. And it can do that for us even if we are killed for proclaiming it. Neither life nor death, Paul says, can separate us from the love of God that's in in Jesus Christ, our Lord. In fact, death just facilitates the meeting. It's like the servant at the door to the heavenly mansion. So now, Paul taunts that enemy, knowing that it has become a servant of the resurrection. Death is a servant of the resurrection, so Paul kind of makes fun of it. Death is swallowed up in victory. Where's your sting now, death? You can't hurt me. Instead of being the final terrifying word about each one of us, that thing that's so terrifying we don't even want to think about it most of our lives, and we remove even the sight of it from ourselves, instead of being the final terrifying word about you, death is brought under the umbrella of victory. It's brought under the umbrella of resurrection, which is the new word about you, the the true, final, good word about you in Jesus Christ. If Jesus hadn't been raised from the dead, if he'd only promised a resurrection to us, but not been the first fruits of it himself, then we'd be in a really bad place. That's what Paul says earlier in the chapter. If he's not risen from the dead, just give it all up. Just think of the doubts that you could have. Think of the fears that you could have. Would we even dare to hope in such a thing as resurrection or eternal life if Jesus Christ himself, the firstfruits, hadn't been raised from the dead on our behalf? Paul actually says, if he wasn't raised from the dead, you'd be better off discarding hope entirely. But here it is, the gospel truth that dispels every doubt, that conquers every fear, every single fear about God, about his love, about his power, about his faithfulness, about his promises to you. The gospel truth is that, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So when the doubts and the fears start to creep in on you, you remember that. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Because of the resurrection, you can have confidence that it is all true. Everything about Jesus Everything about him, his person, his life, his work, his teachings, everything about him on your behalf as your Savior, all of it is true. We know that because of the resurrection. You can know everything's going to be okay. That's what it boils down to. Because of the resurrection, you can know everything's going to be okay. Jesus lives glorious never to die again, and so shall I. Jesus lives and so shall I. Believe that and it changes everything. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you are good to us. 
You are good beyond our imagining. You're good beyond our faith and hope, our ability to um, even muster up enough faith to believe how good you are. It, uh, it is not enough. And yet you are good. You gave your son for us. You've sent your spirit into our hearts so that we can have a relationship with you that lasts forever. And all of it is guaranteed uh, through the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ, from the dead on our behalf. We pray that you would make that truth sink in deeper into our lives, that it would grant us courage to live for you in this world, knowing that the message that we proclaim, the message we believe, the message we share with others, is a message that in itself grants us immortality and invincibility. Because even though we die in Christ, because he's the resurrection, we shall live. So we pray that you would help us to fix our eyes on Christ, that you would strengthen our faith, that you would make us the kind of people who, um, who joyfully live in light of the resurrection at all times and in every way, even in this dark world, because ultimately you've revealed it to be a, a world of resurrection. We pray that you'd be with us in Christ's name. Amen.